Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Business Leader Insight, brought to you today by our sponsor, Interaction. We're Business Leader and we're the UK's leading B2B media platform. We have a print magazine, live and virtual events network and a website that is updated daily with news and insight. For those of you who don't know about Business Leader, please do go and visit us at businessleader.co.uk. This live interview series is seeing us bring you inspiring business figures and people. And for today's interview, we are speaking to Billy Billingham, MBE. Billy is one of the stars of the SES Who Dares Win show on Channel 4, but his career is much more than that, as we'll find out uh, today. Welcome, Billy. How are you today? I'm good, and thank you for the invitation, Ollie. Yeah, I'm really good at that. No, good, good to have you with us. Thank you. So, so we'll, we'll kick off. I mean, you're you're known for your career in the uh, special services and army. I mean, can you just tell us about how you you started your career in the army? Yeah, I can. I um, as a young kid, I went a little bit wrong. I won't go too deep into this, but um, somewhere along the line, I, I met a very influential person in my life who won the cadets in my local area. And so I joined the cadets, and what I realised was everything I was being taught in the cadets made sense to me. My school, my academia was falling by the wayside. I couldn't understand why I needed to learn how to dot my T's, cross my T's, dot my I's, and all this. It made no sense to me. But in the cadets, I was learning navigation. I was learning first aid. I was learning all this, which I could, I, I could gravitate towards and enjoy. So I think at a very early age, I thought, right, this is where I want to be. And I enjoyed the discipline side of it. Because, you know, I, like I said, I was a rogue kid. I was getting away with all sorts of stuff, getting in trouble. And it was difficult for my father and my mother to sort of keep a strict rein on me because we came from a very poor family. They were both working 12-hour shifts, one in, one out. So they couldn't really keep control of me. When I joined the cadets, I was controlled. I was directed. And when I got things wrong, I was told I was wrong. And I was punished in the right way for it. And I enjoyed that. So I think right at that very age, I decided that's where I want to go. And I remember speaking to my careers teacher who got me in one day. When I did go to school, I was about 14, and he says, where do you think you're going to go in your life? You're a waster, you're going nowhere. And I said, well, I'm going to go in the Army. And he says, well, what if you don't get in the Army? I said, I'll go in the Navy. What if you don't get in the Navy? I'll go in the RF. Well, if you don't get in the RF, I'll go in the Merchant Navy. So I knew I was going to go in somewhere with discipline in the forces, and that's exactly what I did. So at the age of 17 and a half, eventually I joined the Parachute Regiment. Uh, I had a nine-year career with them, which was fantastic. I joined the Third Battalion Parachute Regiment out in Belize for the first ever trip into the jungle and I was amongst real real leaders, real men who just come back on conflict in the Falklands so they knew what we were talking about and I learned a lot of lessons from them. I and due to that these people are at that very early age, that's what inspired me to go on and think, well, where do I take this to the next level? After about nine years, obviously I knew about the SAS and I had friends in the SAS and I thought, that's where I've got to go. One, to see if I can do it too, because I know that's the stuff they're doing is, is amazing, um, or what I thought they were doing was amazing. And that's where I went, and then I decided after nine years with Parachute Reg with SAS selection, and then I joined the SAS. And I always say I did 27 years throughout the country, I actually did a lot more than that. You know, I actually didn't officially leave the regiment until 2015, although as a, a tier one, jumping through windows planning and all that sort of stuff, I probably left in 2007. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, you've mentioned your 20 plus years there in, in the army, in the army and the elite services. I mean, that, that must make an incredible mark on somebody. How, how have you found that shaped you? Yeah, I'll tell you, if there's one thing it wraps me into, it's given me obviously an, an amazing wealth of experience. 
based on reality. I've been seen, touched it, done it, not read about it, and answered questions about it, done it. So it's given me an amazing background of experience to be able to fall back on. It's, it's taught me that life always has a second option. You know, no matter how bad things get, and we, we get end up in the most dire, crazy situations where you think, how do we get out of this? How do we do what we're supposed to do here? And when you take a breath and step back and think about it, there is a way, as long as you can keep your head. It's taught me to keep my head in a crisis and, and just go in. We ain't gonna, one person ain't going to stop the world spinning. Calm down, take a breath, think about things. And that's what the regiment taught me. You know, having been constantly put into these situations, and some cause for our own, own, own reasons, you know, it, it gave me that experience to go, oh, how do you get through this? And, and like I say, in the darkest space you're in, there's always an option. That's what it's taught me. Oh, thanks, Ben. You've mentioned there those kind of dark spaces. What would you say was the lowest point of, of your career in, in the uh, armed forces, and, and, and how did you get through that? I think there's there's many, if I'm honest. I don't really put my finger on one thing that was a dark space. I've had many dark spaces, you know, being away from home and family are ill and stuff, and you can't get back and you don't know what's going on. I remember being in the jungle one time in the depths of the uh, middle of the jungle in Brunei, and I got a call, a crackling call across the radio to say my daughter's been in a bad accident. And that was it. So you can imagine, in the, in the jungle, it was pitch black at night, and at the t- time, the, they didn't have the capabilities to fly into the jungle and get me out. So for 12 hours, I lay there all night thinking, what the hell's going on? Is she alive? What's going on? You know, just in, in, into a, a world of craziness. I mean, that's one dark space. Another one is obviously when you, you know, somebody gets killed. Not the time it happens, believe it or not. It never really hits, not just regiment guys, any any guys, soldiers especially, doesn't really hit home until like there when you stood at the side of the grave and looking down you see the kids there and the, the wife or the partner and you think wow was this all worth it you know? and that's kind of you know kind of a low point if you like but you sort of pick yourself back up and go you know we're here for a reason and always believe that whatever we're doing we're doing for the better good for other people and I honestly believe that and it just kicks you out of it and motivates you to go forward again um, you mentioned your, your your career there, Billy. I just want to get an insight. And how did you end up on the the TV show SCS Who Dares Wins? Well, basically, when uh, SCS Who Dares Wins went out, I was you know, I was bodyguarding for went out in a year, I think, and I got a call from a friend of mine who I took through selection, Colin McLaughlin, who was on the first show, and he said, "Hey, we're putting this show together, blah blah blah, and it's a military based. Uh, would you be interested in doing it?" I says, "What is it? What's it called?" And as soon as he said SCS, I went, "No, no." There have been a number of these SES type things going out there and, and it weren't a good thing to be doing. I thought, it's going to be too cheesy, people rolling around with rubber knives and stupid things. Oh, no, I'm not interested. So I left it. Anyway, so Series 1 went out. But funny enough, at the same time, I got another call from the BBC to see if I wanted to work on SFI You Tough Enough. And I looked at it and I thought, what's that about? And it was about SF groups, not individuals being pushed through the paces. I thought, that doesn't sound too bad. And it was with Freddie Flintoff. And I thought, I like Freddie. I like to have a beer with him. So I said, yeah, I'll do that. Long, long story short. So that ran at the same time. I came back from the bodyguarding task and I was about to start filming the next day and then I ended up in hospital with malaria for the fourth time. I ended up with cerebral malaria. So I didn't do it. Series one, SAS went out and that went out. The BBC one didn't go too well. SAS uh, series one went really, really well. I didn't watch it, but I got told. Then I got a call from the... um, the producer said, hey, we really want you to come on the second show. And I thought, well, why? I don't get this. So he actually, I said, I'm not coming to London. He said, I'll come to Hereford. He came to Hereford, to my house, talked about the show, what it's all about. So let me think about it. I went away again on another bodyguard task, and I took a USB with me and watched it. And I thought, you know what? I like that. 
it's not so bad. It's not about, hey, look at us for we're great and all this SF stuff. It was about people, and it was about the people on the show, their backstories, and how we could, with our experience, help them, you know, based on the stuff that we'd seen. So I thought, you know what, I've got something to contribute to that. I've got a lot of experience, and I kind of enjoyed it. So I said that was the reason I joined the show, and I thought, okay, I'll do that. So that was it. I'm just moving on to the current kind of situation we're in, Billy. I mean, what what is your view on how the UK has responded? And have you have you ever seen anything like this? Have I seen anything like I've seen similar stuff? You know, the Ebola in Africa. I've been being out there, anthrax in certain areas where we go. Not to this scale, I haven't on a world scale, of course. But um, how we dealt with it, it's easy to criticise. You know, no one knew the answers. No one really know, knows what's going on. Everybody thinks it's a conspiracy theory. You know, let's just let's have a bit of realism with all this. You know. Good old Boris, and I like Boris, you know, I, I, I think he did a great job. He did as best he can with the knowledge he's got. As a leader, a leader doesn't have all the answers. A leader has a team of people, all right? He had a team of people advising him, and he did what he did right. He's got to save the economy, he's got to save the people, he's got to do what he can. So he did what he could. And I understand the reason, in my opinion on it, and I don't have the answers, is we needed initially to save the NHS, save our medical system. That's a fact, we had to, because it had just been smashed. It was already... A, on, you know, at the end of September. And thank you to the NHS, fantastic job. So um, he did what he did. Let's lock down, let's do what we did. Like the world did, everybody's talking to us, all the leaders as best they can. You know, there's a lot of knowledge there and a lot of experience. And we went into lockdown. So I thought it was the right thing to do for the first six, seven, eight weeks to save the NHS, get a system in place, get a backup in place, get our, our ducks in a row, and then let's look at it properly again and go, right, let's release where we need to release and get and be realistic about this. You know, you can call it what you want. It's a flu. It's this, it's that. It's there. It's, it's a fact. We've got it. We need to deal with it. We can't, I don't believe personally, we can just hide away for too long because it ain't going to go, it ain't going to go away. It's not going to sit outside hours and go, Oh, no one's coming out. Let's go. Let's just bury ourselves. It's there. We have to fight it. We have to get on with it. We have to interact. No matter how you try, you, you touch something, you pick something up, you go to the supermarket, whatever, you're going to be, around it so we have to get on with it what we have to do now is work with the measures with the medical systems to get a, a vaccination as soon as possible and everybody just use common sense boris johnson doesn't have to tell you to hold your hand to wash your hands to go out the door use common sense you know so that's where we are now and that's why i think of it let's work with the system let's be patient let's put the conspiracy theories to the side stop getting wrapped up in who's to blame and what's going on and who's trying to do because the facts are out there, you know? So that's my opinion. Thanks, Billy. Some interesting insight there. And you, you've mentioned leadership, and obviously it's a huge challenge for leaders during this time. M yeah. Many of our kind of viewers and su subscribers are leading quite big businesses. I mean, is, there, is there any advice you would give, give to them now on how to lead in a crisis? Yeah, I, I would say take a breath. Don't jump the gun and start trying to anticipate exactly how it's going to go and get into a flat pack. Obviously, get have your belt and braces. What I say, what I mean by that is have a fallback system. How are we going to get out of this? What other options could open up for us as a business to, to sort out their own, obviously, funding, uh, financials? Because that's what the problem is. It's a difficult time. No one's got the answers. And no one's going to give you the directive. So as a leader, you've got to think outside the box and go, right, what can I do? How can I, you know, immediately get this sort of, Doors released. What can I do? What's the first step I need to do to be able to start regain, get the team back in in the right order, in the safest manner, and and get the financials back into place? So start planning. Basically, is what I'm trying to say, but without you know 
get into panic mode. Don't start thinking it's all going to crash. It's all just try and think straight. Get your head together and go right. What are the alternatives? What are the other options? This is how my business is always run. This is an opportunity now to go. Wow, let me think outside the box. What about we'll go off at this angle and do something slightly different? You know, and just be ready and plan and just be ready to sort of step over the starting line as soon as you get the clearance. But I would say don't panic. Think as straight as you possibly can and try and come up with alternatives, ways of building up your finance, building up your team in a safe manner. And no one's going to give the answer. I mean, if anyone's sitting there for help, but he's going to give us the answer to, this is what we've got to do. I can't. Nobody can. But what I can tell you from the crisis that I've been in is, is go, wow, I don't see a way out of it. But in a cold light, take a break, think, use your team, your, your business team, and right, start looking at this, look at the options, start looking at, whatever it is, and, and delegate us out, ready, have meetings, and as soon as you, the door opens and you're clear to take the first step, take the first step, lay the foundations and build and build and build. And just, I'm, I'm quite interested, you mentioned that the, the sort of delegation there. I mean, do, do you think the era of the hero leader who kind of wants to do it all themselves is, is sort of fading away and, and you need a bit more humility to, to, to deal with issues like this? I don't think there's ever been a hero wanting leader. Nobody does anything about a team. Let me tell you that right now. I might be the guy that, you know, gives a final order, we're going to take that position and, and hold it, great. But I'll tell you what, there'll be 10 people below me who go, we need, to, we need this equipment, we need that amount of manpower, we need this. So anybody who thinks he can stand there and go, I am the leader, he's going to fall flat on his face. You may get away with it once or twice, but I'll tell you what, you will fall. So the business, the, the leader is, it's the, the team below him gives him the ammunition and the resources. And he's the leader, is the person who presses a button. And then the leader doesn't even start to come into his own until it starts to slightly look like it's going to go off the tracks. If it looks like it's going off, this is where the leader steps in now. He goes, right, this is how we're going to do it. This is the next option. So he's always thinking, anticipating one step ahead. Everything's going smooth. We've got all the right equipment. We've got the finances. We've got the budget. It's all looking smooth. I'm saying to myself, what if? What if now we're challenged by someone else and we're not ready? Let's be ready. So that's what the leaders should be doing now and being prepared for. Yeah, thanks, Billy. That's, that's, that's really interesting insight. And uh, you mentioned earlier your, your career as, as a bodyguard and, and you, you've done that for some, some very famous people. I mean, how do you look back on this part of, of your career and, and were there any close scrapes? I, I look back at it and I loved it. I learned everything you do, I know it's a cliche, is a school then. It was. Being a bodyguard, I'd done it in very, very hostile environments, you know, with the military that people are trying to kill you, kill everybody around you, and all that sort of stuff. So I'd work through all that. So when I went to, into the corporate or celebrity bodyguard world, it was easier. It was still difficult because it was a lot less hostile. It was more about planning and controlling and, and protecting an image as opposed to physical rolling around the floor or any, any of that sort of stuff. Um, there was a lot of lessons learned from it, you know, my time management, my planning, being a little bit more sort of... Um, What's the word? Uh, soft-hearted and, and with approaches and, and dealing with situations. There's many situations where the thing is, I had, a, I had a great sort of background anyway. So I remember going into crowds with, let's just say, with Andrew or whoever it might be. And the first thing I'm doing is looking at everybody in the crowd as, as a scan. And anybody that is not smiling or clapping is just staring at, it's probably not for the right reason. That's what, so then I'll focus on that. Okay, that's where my, my problem is. And as soon as I see any, any sort of potential with my client, I'll just move away from it. I can deal with a problem like anybody. I don't want to deal with it. If I'm dealing with a problem, I'm not dealing with my client. So 
there was a few close scrapes, you know, there's a few rumours of potential kidnapping. Not, I'm not going to say we with or why, but yeah, so you're dealing with all sorts of stuff. There was never anything, you know, close to the bone where we're just about to get ambushed or anything like that. It's just dealing with overzealous people sometimes. You know, I remember in, being in Tonto, Tonto, Toronto, sorry, Toronto, Canada, they're going to a uh, red carpet thing and I had no control over the crowd outside, of course, and it just got out of hand and I had to make a decision. And I made the decision there. And I said, right, reverse the car, we're not going to the carpet. And I remember the two celebs looking at me going, we have to, and I'm like, well, we ain't going. I, can't, I can, cannot support you. I cannot control you. And they looked at me and went, okay, well, you're our security. I was, thank you, let's go. And I did a, I'll come up with an alternative plan. Fine, we'll move our red carpet to where I've got safe control. And we did. Uh, th- thanks for uh, so, so some interesting um, stories. And I just want to end my, my question. I've noticed that on your social media, you talk about concepts always a little further. Uh, and I just, I just felt that that was really neat, Billy. I mean, is there anything, could, could you just explain what that means for you? Yeah, it, it's about um, not taking it, uh, how can I put it? it? It's about pushing yourself beyond where you think you can go because you can do it. And if someone says to you, oh, if you put your mind to somewhere you can do anything, that's, that's, true you can't you can't do anything but you can certainly do better right and what i do even when even now when i'm out running i i, I, know, I say to myself okay, i'm going to run five miles and then this side of my head goes oh no we're going five miles so i guess i'll get ready but then this side of my head goes no we're going five and a half i'm going to go a little bit further and I'm, I'm absolutely so i'm fighting against myself but i always feel a lot better once i've gone that bit further same sort of thing, I'll, I'll set myself a distance, a, a telegraph pole to run to. As I run to it, I always say to myself, okay, once I get to the telegraph pole, I'm going to start jogging, not sprinting. But I won't stop until I've got a metre past it. I'll never go stop before it. It's just a psychological barrier to break through. Make that, go that a little bit further and, and push yourself a little bit more and you'll feel much more, you'll feel, feel the benefits of it. Once you break that psychological, it's breaking that psychological barrier. And that saying, believe it or not, came to me when I was nine years old after I stole something from an old guy, and rather than giving me a good idea, he took me to one side, he says, taught me boxing, and he told me what boxing was all about, how it was a discipline, anticipation, and he said to me, you, as a person, always have to go a little bit further. If you want to be a winner, you want to be good at what you want to do, you've got to go a little bit further than the other person, you've got to give that a little bit more. And it doesn't matter if you fall back, you get knocked back, don't give up, go a little bit further, go again. Learn from that, don't make the same mistake, work your way around it, but go again, move always a little further. And, and I've stuck with that. And the great thing about it is it's part of the prayer of the regiment, always a little further, the, you know, shimmering mountain. And it's, it's just, it's my mantra. And I, 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 I stand by it. It's, it's carried me for my life. Without, and if, if you want to relate that to the situation I've been on the battlefield, a little bit further does not mean taking risks. You still do risk mitigation. You know, you go, right, can't do this. How can I do it? option yes there is option it's not a great option but i'll work it persevere with it and i'll make it work with tea it's quite interesting to to to, to hear that, that that was with you from from the age of nine really that's just quite nice that you've kind of carried that that through but um though those were my questions we've now going to just get some uh, questions uh, from the audience that the first one we've got is from mph productions said what would be your advice for new leaders billy New leaders, firstly, don't get too cocky or confident. You've still, it's still a school day. So listen, listen to your team, listen to experience. You generally find, and this is what I found throughout my career, the guy who talks the loudest has got the least to say. Mm. You know, 
it's generally the quieter guy who, who knows what he's doing. He's great at opening doors. He's great at blowing walls in. Let him be that person. Take the advice from – so use your team around you to make you look good and make the team good, of course. Be prepared to take the pat on the back for all the great stuff, but also be prepared to take on the tune when it goes wrong. Don't be afraid as a leader to say, I don't have the answers. That's a, that's a real good tip. I'll tell you that right now. Don't pretend you do. And as soon as a leader feels the ackles on the back of his head, neck going up and something ain't right, have the balls, the courage, and the conviction to go, stop, hang on a minute. I just need, need to reevaluate, recalculate. And that obviously all stems down to restrictions and timelines. So leave yourself enough space to go, this could go wrong. So as a leader, you know, planning, good planning preparation. Don't be afraid to say, I don't have the answers. Know your strengths and weaknesses and, and really work with the team. Make that team work for you. Make them want to be part of, of, of your gang. Uh, thanks, Billy. That's um, uh, a good question and answer. We've got uh, Kirsten, sorry if I can't pronounce your, your middle name, uh, Marika or Marika Tucker. Uh, Billy, how do you mentally prepare your mind to deal with situations you think you can't achieve? Um, how do I? I just, I guess using that mantra, I say always a little bit of a butchery thing, you know, I might not be able to reach that goal, but I'm going to give it a go. So I'll use the advice around me and, and without being disrespectful, you know, it's generally somebody in, a, in a, a stronger position might say to you, you know, you Billy, you ain't really got the credentials material to do this. Take it on the chin and go, you know what, I might be able to prove you wrong and prove myself right. So just take a breath, think about it, and don't be afraid to try. So, you know, just get your mindset to be prepared to be knocked back, but be prepared to have another go. If you, you feel, oh, well, I ain't going to do it and just give up, you will give up. So I get preparing you by saying, I'm going to have a go at it. I'll possibly fail, but I'm going to have a go at it. So that, that's how I do it, and I will. I'll, I'll go for it. Thanks, uh, uh, Billy. Uh, next uh, question, Amy Shortman. Uh, Billy, where have you experienced strong leadership and why? I, I, yeah, of course I have. I've been on the battlefield within a regiment. You know, you'll tell a great leader, not just by what he says, but what he does how he acts, you know, and we had a particular commanding officer when, you know, during the sort of desert sort of problems we had. And I just remember watching him, how calm he was when everybody else around me was like running around, oh, we're going to get gas, we're going to get bombed, you know, and he just so cool, so calm and collective. I remember I took a lot of lessons from him. Take a breath, look around you, keep it calm, control everybody else. And, and he was amazing. Then he gave a speech just prior to us, crossing the, the, the border, and it was just amazing. And he just told it from the back of his head. He just shot from the hip, didn't rehearse, he didn't take it from a book, and he just gives some great inspiring words. And people went, and you, you build trust with people, are you? You're right, I trust him. That's one of them. That's on a military perspective. And I'll tell you a great one now. Um, one of the best leaders I've ever seen, and not because of who he is, Clint Eastwood. I remember working with Clint um, on a film with, when I was with Angie and watched him. Not because of the person he is, just how he dealt with his team. His team would have worked for nothing just to be working that team because they were all so happy. He just, he just, he put time and effort with everybody. He let the people, everybody was a leader in their own way. You know, the camera was leading when he was doing his camera stuff. The electrician was doing when he was setting up the rigger. And, and he made sure they knew that. And, and he'd come onto set and he'd speak to everybody involved, from the janitor to the cleaners to the, the cooks to the security and he took time with people, and I watched him do that. And he just, he just gave me great inspiration to think, you know, 
And he'd actually say, I'll probably never go for a beer with a guy because he's a little bit not my sort, but he respected him and he, he was just amazing, you know? So, yeah, two, two different types of leaders, if you like. A military, from a military perspective, just being calm, collective, in the most dire of situations when everybody else is thinking, whoa, this could go wrong. He just looks so cool. When somebody looks cool and calm and collective, it calms everybody else down. It's, it's, it's a bit of a classic case of, I remember when I did a medics course and, um, you know, you end up in a, a situation where somebody, you can see, he's in a bad way. You know, he's probably got arm, leg, arm missing, leg missing, blood everywhere. And as, as you turn up as the medic, just keeping all calm and in the back of your head, you, you realise how serious this is, but you just, hey, just be quiet. You know, you just bleed a bit, stop whinging. And everybody just calms down there. And then you've got control of someone. So that's a good leader in my eyes. Thanks, Billy. And thanks, Amy, for the question. Uh, Andre Bell, what morning rituals do you follow to set your day up for success? My time. I call it my time. I get up in the morning and I have to train. I love to train. It's my decompression to everything. And that's why I was a little bit late, I guess, today. You lot don't know about because I was training and I had to get my training out of the way. So I get up and I'll do some sort of training. You know, it hasn't got to be hard and fast and mental, just enough to my own space, get out, walk, clear my head get myself started for the day. And I like to get up early if I can. Not always, but get up early, you know, start the day and feel like I've got a full day ahead of me. So, yeah, that's my sort of ritual. Get up, a bit of fitness, have breakfast, work up what's important, the crocodile's closest to the boat, what needs to be done now, get that out of the way, and then sort of start thinking about what else has got to come later. Thanks, uh, Billy. Uh, Chris Dibbs, um, how do you deal with negativity or, or, or negative people in your, in your team? Um, well, you let them know being negative. Don't, don't pussyfoot around them. Tell them, you know, you, you, you're not playing. You create a, link, a weak link and, and find out what their problem is. They may have something underlying that you don't know about. So take them to the side and have a good chat with them. And then if it ain't going to work, you've just got to be, this is where you become a leader. You cut them out. You're going to have to get rid of that negativity. Okay, get the team. After you've had a good word or try to get them on side, get the rest of the team together and say, look, speak with them. You guys speak with them and tell them why. It's, it's about being honest and upfront. We don't, we, we all pussyfoot around and play around it, tiptoe around it. Is it direct? Is it head on? Without creating a scene, take the guy to, or person to, or woman, whoever it is, to one side and say, listen, here's the deal. You might not like me. We ain't going to take showers together. We're not going to have cups of tea together working in a team when we're in a team we focus we all work together we're all going for the same home same same goal when you leave here you can be who you want but within a team within your group cut the negativity because there ain't space for it no, thanks uh billy and yeah richard jones uh or potsy uh hi billy how do you schedule your weeks or months i could lie and go yeah I'm, i i'm i plan two months ahead i i'm i my, my wife will probably fall over laughing if I said that, but I, I, I'm, I'm very much a crisis manager. There's different types of manager. I am very much a crisis manager. I leave everything to the last minute. She's brilliant. She keeps me organizing. Oh, you've got this meeting, you've got that, you've got this, and I need that. So if you're not good at it, know your weaknesses and get somebody to help you. Um, I, I, I plan, if I'm honest, probably as far forward as a, as a week at best. Because things, um, but I, I like the flexibility. I like things changing last minute. And that makes me feel good because it takes my mind off. I remember trying to plan something during the Gulf War and, and we had about a week to plan it. And all of a sudden it was like, it was killing me. I had too long to plan for it. I was like, what if this? What if that? And he said, right, tell me 20 minutes before we're ready to go and I'll come up with a plan. So, no, I'm not a great forward planner. 
I do plan what's most important, of course, and and they're the crocodiles, as I call it, close to the bottom. I deal with that probably week week in advance if possible. But uh, generally, no, nothing me personally. But that's my sort of style. It's not everybody's style. And thanks, uh, Billy and Richard, for the question. Emma Philby, uh, how do you inspire yourself? I mean, how, how do you pick yourself up when you have a bad day? I'm human just like everybody else. I, you know, I have my dark days. I have my down days. You know, I, I don't feel like doing stuff sometimes. But, you know, I, I, this is what I always say to myself as well is, in a dark space when things ain't great, it's a passage in time. And it really is. It will get better. And life really is short. And before you know it, you know, you, you've moved on. So just take a breath. Just pick yourself up and move forward. There's no point dragging dead wood behind you. If something's happened that's creating a, a bad problem for you, let it go. It's behind you already. It's past. Look at it. Learn from it and move forward. Pick yourself up and go forward. Don't wait for someone else to do it. You've got to do it. And that's what I honestly do. I go, you know what? I feel like... I feel horrible. I'm having a bad day. I'm not going to everybody, but it'll be dark before I know. I'll be sleeping tonight. I'll be up in the morning. It's a fresh day. Let's go again. So look forward. Move forward. Don't dwell. Don't drag it. Forget the pity party because the only person going to be there is you. You know, no one's going to come and muddy coddle you. You don't need that. Thank you, Billy. We've got uh, the, uh, one final question from audience. And apologies if we haven't managed to ask your question, as there was uh, a lot submitted, but uh, Billy's probably got other things to, to do today. Um, but yeah, how do you uh, achieve your team's goals when the wider business team can't see the ultimate goal? That's from uh, Nathan Love. That's a good question, mate. Um, how do you do that? I, I think it's about regular... It's about communication. This is how you get around this one. It's, it's communication. It's regular updates of how and why we have to do this. Reminding people what their input and let them, let let the the, the, the sort of the, the part of the team that don't really get it. Let them feel important. Make them important. So you're you you're you're the big part of the jigsaw. I need this bit doing for this reason to get to this position here. You know. So I think it's communication. Remind and revise. Keep the focus and let people know, and and, and you know share the love and the, the sort of um, the glory of how important they are to this task. Because some people just they won't get it. All that's important to them is their little bit, but that's fine. But they have to understand their little bit won't help us get to the next bit unless they do it well and become part of that team. I hope that makes sense to you. No, thank you, uh, Nathan, and thank you, Billy. Sorry, just 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 one more uh, question, uh, Billy, and then we will um, uh, finish. But that is from Stephen uh, Chan. What is something we can't find online about you? <laughs> Mate, I was asking, yes, if anyone going to tell you that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, how much we love our dog. It's ridiculous. The dog is ruling our life. What, what breed is it, Billy? The British Bulldog, pulled Alfie, he's our little baby, just everything. The will spins around this bloody dog. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, I think that, that's yeah. a, a nice... Yeah. Uh, Lovely, but he just, he just rules us. <laughs> That's a, a nice note uh, to finish. I just want to say thank you, uh, Billy. It was, it, was, it, was, it was fascinating. I mean, just a quick final thought from your, yourself. Yeah, I mean, this is a, it's a weird time we're in now, but look embrace it because we can't change it it's a passage in time as I've told you before look at the real the good things about this okay you've had time to be around your friends and your family you might not get onto a world with party family but that's the way it is at least you've had time to see that and figure a few things out 
Warrior, I'll tell you what, he's one fact. Step outside that door and just look how the planet has, has, has revived. It's amazing. It's great. So there are some positives to this. And before you know it, we'll be out of it. We'll be running at 100 miles an hour again, and everything will be back to normal and chaos. And you can go, oh, I wish it was back that way. So embrace where we are right now. Don't let it get to you. And if you're having problems and, and, and you're finding you really, really can't cope, you're not alone. Don't be alone. Talk to somebody because people do care, believe it or not.